decided just kind of to give December over to like the whole Christmas theme. And so we talked about the arrival, we've talked about his work, and then this morning, week three, our last week in the series, we're going to talk about the leading of Jesus. And I can't think of a more pertinent uh, or a more apropos subject than that as we're facing a new year, right? We're about to start. I mean, 2014's over. Have you guys even realized that? Um, but in any case, 2014 is like, it's just, it's a week away from being, or two weeks away from being finished. And, and so I can't think of a more uh, apropos, a more relevant subject than to talk about the leading of Jesus as we begin a new year in, in faith and, and living in life. And, uh, and so that's kind of the, the thinking behind this. So if you've come here to hear a Jesus was born in a manger sermon today, that was three weeks ago. Uh, today we're talking about the leading of Jesus. And, and my probably biggest goal is that we would be equipped, that we would be prepared for the coming year. And Cameron's preaching next Sunday, and he'll talk more about that. He'll come at it from different angles. But for the most part, we need to be equipped for the coming year. And what better way to do that than to talk about how Jesus leads us, what he does for us as our leader, because he's not just our savior, he is also our king and our priest and our leader. He guides us and leads us in these things. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Turn on over to Psalm 23. The whole psalm, it's not very long, it has like six verses. So that's going to be our text today. We're going to do an exposition of that text. I'm going to give you nine things from that text that Jesus does for us as our leader, nine things I'll be presenting to you. Hopefully I'll be able to get through all of them in a timely manner. Um, but in any case, I, I'd like to uh, read Psalm 23. If you'd read along with me, uh, I'll read it out loud. You follow along in your Bible, and then I'll pray one more time and we'll get to work. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me Besides still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Last verse, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Father God, we come to you now and humble ourselves, Lord, and we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth, Lord, that you would soften our hearts. Our hearts tend to be calloused, and, and they tend to reject your truth or manipulate it. And Lord, we pray that you would soften our hearts by the power and might of the Holy Spirit in this very moment. Teach us today about our leader, Jesus, and what he desires to do, not only desires to do, but does do for us, what he's going to do for us in the coming year. And thank you for this time of, of worship and teaching, Lord. I pray that uh, you would be exalted and glorified here in this place. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said. Amen. Firstly, first thing we're going to look at from the text. Number one, you ready? You're getting ready to take some notes? 
you're going to want to write these things down because you're going to want to come back to them. You're going to want to come back to Psalm 23, but you're going to want to come back to these points. You're going to want to come back to these points because every verse basically illustrates one or two of these points. And so you're going to want to come back to this stuff in 2015. And there's a number of reasons why, and we'll get to that. But number one is Jesus satisfies us. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The text firstly identifies the Lord as a shepherd, and I love this because there probably are a few people in the Bible that, that would really have a sense of what shepherding is like. And, and, and one of the guys that would know this is King David, and he's the author of this, and, and he knew what being a shepherd was like. He could relate to this whole God, Lord, as shepherd theme. He had been a shepherd for his father and took care of sheep, and he had been a shepherd to Israel. He knew what this was like. And so the first thing we see is that the Lord is identified as a shepherd. And what is a shepherd? We all know what a shepherd is or does. They're one who, it's a person who cares for a flock of sheep. The shepherd is basically the master of the flock. He leads the flock. He feeds the flock. He guards the flock. He comforts the flock. He heals the flock when the sheep are injured. And he trains the flock. He literally oversees and manages all that pertains to the flock. The flock has been entrusted to his care. And he cares for the flock in every way. It is essentially his job to make sure that his sheep are cared for in literally every regard. A shepherd provides continuous care, continuous nurture, and continuous protection. He never takes his eyes off his flock, not even for a moment. He never steps away from his flock, not even for a moment. When he puts his flock in the sheep pen, he remains near and alert in case a predator tries to hop the fence to harm his sheep. The work of a shepherd is a daily, moment by moment, 24-7, 365 kind of work. A shepherd is always on duty. Now this isn't the only and now you just think about this role as shepherd, and now you apply it to Christ. All that a shepherd is applies to Jesus. Now this isn't the only appearance of the Lord as a shepherd in the Bible. Genesis 49:24 refers to the Lord as the mighty one of Jacob, the stone of Israel, the almighty, and the shepherd. Psalm 80, verse 1 refers to the Lord as the shepherd of Israel. Ecclesiastes 12.11 says, uh, The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. I'm talking about the word of God here. As the shepherd, the Lord is the shepherd. He spoke the word of God. Isaiah 40.11 says, He, speaking of the Lord, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. In John 10.11 and 10.14, the Lord Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. You remember that. 
title that he took for himself. He referred to himself as the good shepherd. In Hebrews 13.20, Jesus is called the great shepherd of the sheep. In 1 Peter 2.25, Jesus is called the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Now, I don't want to belabor this point as the Lord, as Jesus as shepherd, but it's essential, it is absolutely essential that we understand that the Lord Jesus leads us as a shepherd, that he is our good shepherd, and that all that a shepherd does for his sheep applies to Christ, and even more so with Christ. And as our good shepherd, Jesus gives us all we need, and he, what, satisfies us. We shall not want. We shall not want. Why? Because we have the Lord Jesus as our good shepherd, and he cares for us. We are the flock, Jesus' flock, and he cares for us as a shepherd. He takes care of everything for us. He takes care of us emotionally and physically and spiritually, especially spiritually. When you find yourself, whether you find yourself right now at this very moment in your life or in the coming year, at any point in 2015, and it's going to happen where you find yourself dissatisfied spiritually, dissatisfied emotionally, dissatisfied physically. Have you ever felt this way? Like, man, I just feel like something's lacking. My, my wife and I make these jokes about shopping, you know, and we need to go out and get some, you know, retail therapy. And, and it makes us feel good to go out and shop and all that. And then we get the item that we think we want. And then about two hours later, that, that buzz wears off. And you're out 100 bucks. Or if you have three almost, well, two teenage boys and another one, you're out 1000 bucks. They just keep getting more and more expensive. But if you find yourself dissatisfied or wanting spiritually, emotionally, or physically in 2015, remember our good shepherd. Remember how we shall not want in him that he satisfies us. You see, that's one of the ways that I overcome these strong pulls to getting things or wanting something or what have you is that I reflect upon Jesus and how he truly satisfies me. And, and some would say, well, Jesus only satisfies us spiritually. You know what? If a person becomes satisfied spiritually, they will become satisfied in every other department and area. The longings of the soul, once they're met in the Lord, begins to quench all of the other longings. And Jesus, as our good shepherd, is one whom we can draw close to and pray to and seek after when we're feeling a pull towards the things of this world or that we need something, we think we need something. This is especially pertinent to singles. I just got to get a boyfriend. I just got to get a girlfriend. I just got to do this or that. And you need to remember your good shepherd. And how a shepherd, how our good shepherd satisfies us, that we shall not want. David had in mind here every area of life. He is our good shepherd and he satisfies us. That's Jesus. Number two, Jesus gives us rest. Right there in verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Life is busy, isn't it? 
We're always running here and there. We always have to go to and fro. We have to drive our children all over creation to clubs and sports things and school and what have you. Life can be literally chaotic. Life can be tiring. Life can be exhausting. Our minds are constantly going. Our bodies are constantly going. Our, our spirits, our soul gets worn out from fighting the flesh and the devil. We need rest. And the truth is that we will never find rest, true rest, in a thing or in some other person, some other sinner. Only Jesus can give us true rest. Jesus leads us to himself, the person in place of rest. Jesus is the green pasture. Jesus doesn't take us to a place and drop us off. He brings us to himself where we find rest. It is within his arms that we find rest. He is the strong tower where we find rest from the storms of life, from the busyness of life, from the challenges of relationships, from hardships and all of these things. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Christ is our refuge. In him we find rest. When we draw near to Jesus in prayer, he calms us. Have you ever done this? You're all worked up over something, something's going down or something's going to happen or something has happened and you're all jacked up and then you, you, you try to fix it, you try to do all this stuff and that adds to your exhaustion and then, then somehow you remember to pray and you pray to Christ. You pray to our good shepherd and you're calmed. Peace comes over you. You have rest in the shepherd. When we draw near to Jesus, he calms us. He makes us lie down. He gives us rest. In Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Jesus said this to a multitude of exhausted people and religious burnouts. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In 2015, when your spirit grows tired from warfare and spiritual warfare, remember Jesus gives us rest for our spirits. In 2015, when your mind becomes exhausted by, you know, from trying to figure all these things out and figure out life and figure out finances and figure out this and that, remember Jesus gives us rest for our minds. In 2015, when your heart becomes burdened by disappointment or grief or what have you, when you're saddened, when you're anxious and broken, remember Jesus gives us rest for our heart. In 2015, when your body becomes tired or sick, remember Jesus gives us rest for our bodies. Don't try to find rest for your spirit, mind, heart, body, or anything that has to do with you in anything or in anyone else. You will not find it. Only Jesus, the good shepherd, 
can give you rest. Draw unto him when you need it. Some of you in this room need rest now. Hear the word of God. Obey the word of God. Number three, Jesus gives us peace. Verse three, he leads me beside still waters. He leads me beside still waters. What is the opposite of still waters? Rushing rapids, right? Waters that are not still. Jesus, our leader, our good shepherd, leads us by still waters. Still waters here represents peace. And Jesus is the still waters. Again, he doesn't take us somewhere and drop us off by a nice little calm stream. He leads us to himself. He is the green pasture. He is the still waters. He is our peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, May the Lord of peace himself. May the Lord of peace himself. He is, Jesus is the Lord of peace. May he give you peace at all times. And in every way, the Lord be with you all. Jesus is the Lord of peace who gives peace at all times and in every way, during every scenario. Jesus gives us peace that transcends all understanding, Philippians 4, 7. His peace goes beyond our understanding, beyond our finite minds. It is a peace that calms us during a catastrophe. It is a peace that soothes us after a tragedy. In life, we often find ourselves surrounded by rushing rapids, don't we? Things happen. Circumstances turn for the worst. We lose our job. We lose a loved one. We receive a bad health report. The world persecutes us. It persecutes us. And we become like a frantic kayaker clinging to the pinnacle of a rock in the midst of a mighty stream. Many of us, if not all of us, will become that kayaker in 2015. Stuff is going to happen. Trouble is coming. And we need to remember that Jesus is the immovable rock we cling to, the chief cornerstone, and because of him, we can have peace until the waters subside and forever. Are you hearing me this morning? Jesus gives us peace with God. The war is over. We're no longer enemies of God because of the work of Christ. If you're not in Christ, if you're not following Christ, you're an enemy of God. And you're under his judgment. And yet through Christ, through the gospel, through repentance, turning from ourselves and turning to Christ in faith and believing in him, you can have peace with God. You no longer are an enemy of God because of the work of Christ. We are adopted sons and daughters of God. God calls us his friends, John 15, 15. Jesus gives us inner peace. Prior to Christ, we groped around in spiritual blindness and darkness. We were forlorn wanderers. We were confused and at enmity with not only God, but our very existence, confused, not understanding who we are or why we're here, how we got here. We were hopeless, essentially. But the Holy Spirit illuminates and regenerates us and he brings us before Christ and then we fall in love with Christ and we experience for the first time true inner peace. 
The war with God is over, but the war within ourselves is also brought to an end. The inner conflict of our souls is ended. Jesus also gives us peace with others. We experience relational peace as we learn to forgive others as Christ forgave us. Forgiveness is the instrument Jesus uses to bring peace between people. Forgiveness is paramount to peace. Without forgiveness, there will be no peace. Since Jesus forgave us, we can now forgive others and have peace with them. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone. Jesus knows what we're going to experience in 2015, and he wants us to remember, he wants us to remember that he gives peace in every situation. I'm preaching this to myself. Number four, Jesus, how practical is this stuff? Who knew Psalm 23 was so practical? Number four, Jesus renews us. He renews us. Verse 3, he restores my soul. Life is about starts and restarts. We take five steps forward, and then many of us, if you're like me, take about ten backwards. We make progress, and then we regress. We go forward and backward and backward and forward. We go up and down and over and out. Sounds like a Sinatra song. We're all over the place. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we kill certain sins, and through the weakness of the flesh, we resuscitate certain sins, don't we? I got over that, I moved on, and I'm back in it. In 2015, we will experience many victories, and we will experience the agony, the contrition of defeat. A believer lives in a perpetual state of spiritual warfare against the devil, the demons, and the flesh. Spiritual fatigue is inevitable, but it doesn't stop there, does it? We can also become depleted physically via our busy schedules in life and depleted emotionally via our relationships. When you combine spiritual, physical, and emotional fatigue, the result is a tired and weary soul. The Apostle Paul was a a great missionary, maybe even the greatest one to ever live. He was bold and fearless. He took the gospel into some very dangerous places. We've learned that by studying Acts. He was rejected, persecuted, and even beaten, almost killed. He was deserted by his closest companions and friends. Because uh, Because of his journeys, he experienced spiritual and physical and emotional fatigue. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, he wrote, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. This is someone who was pretty worn out. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever become so worn out that you actually despaired of life itself? That you actually received, in a sense, the sentence of death? I'm not sure that I've been tapped and emptied to that point. I've come pretty close. We've all experienced through life and living and fighting the devil and all this stuff, we've all experienced 
soul fatigue in some sense. We've all experienced spiritual, physical, and emotional exhaustion. Many, if not all of us, will experience this, these things in 2015. And we need to remember something. We need to remember that Jesus renews us. We need to remember that Jesus restores our souls. He restores us. He renews us. Our good shepherd refreshes us. When your computer screen becomes overwhelmed, it freezes up, doesn't it? Say you're on the internet and you're searching things and all of a sudden, ah! And you're like clicking on stuff and it's going, ah! Well, this happens all the time. I have a Mac, it happens less now although my hard drive blew up a few weeks ago. What do we do when our computer screen freezes when we're searching the web? We hit the refresh button, don't we? When our souls become overwhelmed, it's like they freeze. We, become, we can become despondent. We can become irritable. Some of us will become, at times, reclusive. We disconnect and disappear. We need to remember that Jesus is our refresh button. Remember what Jesus told the woman from Sychar as she was drawing water from a well, he said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Jesus provides ultimate refreshment to our souls with thirst-ending water. He restores basically his living water that he gives. It literally restores our souls. It brings not only eternal life, the living water of Christ, what he provides for us in and of himself, this renewal. It, it, it not only provides eternal security and salvation for us, but day-to-day, moment-by-moment refreshment. It's not like he quenches you once and for all, he does in a sense when it comes to your spirit, but due to life and the flesh and these things, we can become exhausted. And he gives us a daily, he offers a daily renewal and refreshment as well, an ongoing thing. He refreshes our souls, he refreshes our spirits, our emotions, our bodies. Remember this in 2015, that Jesus renews us when the world beats you down and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're depleted spiritually, physically, emotionally, remember where renewal is. It's in Christ alone. Come to Jesus often in the coming year to be renewed. Five, Jesus guides us down right paths. Jesus guides us down right paths, the right paths. Verse 3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. As our leader and good shepherd, Jesus never, will never lead us down the wrong path. Never. He always leads us down paths of righteousness. There is an overarching purpose here for the leading of Jesus down these paths of righteousness. He does it for his name's sake. If Jesus were to lead us down evil or wicked paths, then his name would be associated with evil, and that is inconceivable. God does not tempt men, 
Uh, God does not tempt men to commit evil, nor is he the author of evil. Evil exists because God foreordained to allow it, not because he foreordained to commit it with his own hands. If you find yourself on a wrong path, it isn't because Jesus led you there. It is because he allowed you to wander and go astray. This doesn't mean that he has completely left you. You must understand this. A good shepherd never leaves his sheep completely. He keeps an eye on them even while they are afar. 2015 will be marked by many paths and opportunities. As Christians, we need knowledge, wisdom, and discernment so we can figure out which paths are the Lord's paths. Which job should I take? Which school should I attend? Which car should I buy? Which guy should I marry, Fred or Barney? Neither. They don't wear shoes. And our flesh certainly doesn't help the situation. It's constantly wanting us to lead us down the paths of fleshly satisfaction. We are so easily deceived, aren't we? I've probably told this story before, but it works pretty good to illustrate this. But I once had a woman tell me that she believed that the Lord had, it was the Lord's will that she divorce her husband. She came into my office and told me this. And of course, I'm like, I've heard a lot of things, but that's a really interesting one. How do you begin a conversation like that, right? And so I said, well, let, let's just take a look at what the scriptures say. And, and we went over and looked at a couple of different passages that talk about divorce. And we looked at Jesus' words about divorce. And, and I said, well, if your husband cheated on you, committed sexual immorality, adultery against you, and he's unwilling to repent and reconcile, then you pretty much have grounds for a divorce that I don't think God's going to be pom-poming you for getting a divorce. I think he still wants you to try to work this thing out to reconcile. But if your husband's like, he's just doing what he's doing and that's who he is and he doesn't care about you or he doesn't care about the Lord and he's going to continue in these things, then I think you have grounds. Is that what's happened? Oh, no, no, no. He, he hadn't done anything like that. Nothing like that. And I said, well, if, if that's not what he's done, then you don't, it's not the Lord's will for you to get a divorce. You don't have grounds for it. And she just, you know, you don't understand me. You don't understand the situation. You don't understand how he's been mean to my, my oldest son and blah, 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 blah. Went into all this stuff. And, and she said, well, I'm pretty much going to go through with it anyways. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to sound like a self-righteous guy here or anything, but if you proceed with that, you'll be in sin. Oh, no, you don't understand the situation. You don't, you don't get it. You're not in my shoes. I said, I'm not in your shoes, and I wish I could be. Maybe, maybe I could explain to you you're, you're going to be in sin in a different way. Because no matter which way you spin it, you're going to be in sin. Well, you, you don't get it and whatever, and, and she had set her mind on doing it. Now, the interesting thing is she had set her mind on doing it. She dismissed me and dismissed others over at Big Valley, but closer to the time where she was going to get the divorce, he went to her and confessed that he had been unfaithful to her a number of times. He figured, well, it's over. I might as well just tell her what I've been doing, which was interesting. But my point is, is that she was determined well before she knew that. You know, it wasn't the Lord, because the Lord doesn't lead us down unrighteous paths. It wasn't the Lord who was leading her originally to make that choice to, to go down that path. Her guides were bitterness, anger, 
and the devil. And she didn't come to me for wisdom. She came looking for sympathy, thinking I would agree with her based on what she had said and then justify what she was about to do. That was her way of dealing with her guilt or knowing that she was headed down the wrong path. If I can get Pastor Phil to agree with me, I'll be squared away. And when I refused to support her behavior, she dismissed me and said, I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, it's truly amazing how we can twist the word of God to fit our ideas, to fit our desires, to fit our plans, and to fit our paths, the paths that we desire to go down. Yet the paths of Jesus always produce righteous results in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus' paths always affirm scripture, always glorify God, and always bring joy to the traveler, no matter how difficult that path may seem. This is always the case. In 2015, if you cannot figure out which path to take or what to do about a certain thing, Pray to Jesus, search the scriptures, and ask a godly friend or elder for advice. We need to figure out for you what the path of Christ is because that's the right path. Can't figure out what car to buy. Buy one that doesn't put you in six years of debt. That's the Lord's will for you. It's impossible in this culture. I can't do that. Why? Because I have to have a Mercedes. I, I hope they resurrect the Pinto. I, I can't figure out who to date or who to marry. Do they love Jesus more than you? Yes, that's who you date. That's who you marry. See, these things aren't that hard to figure out. I can't figure out what college to go to. Is that college going to work to destroy your faith over the next four years? Forget that college. Find one that will build your faith. Jesus guides us down the right paths. Always. Six. Jesus protects us. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This verse has to do with the protective presence of our good shepherd, Jesus. David wrote, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. The valley of the shadow of death is a metaphor. It represents a perilous and threatening environment where death looms over you. David had experienced the shadow of death many times. He knew what he was writing here. He had written this from experience. He faced death at the hands of King Saul. He faced death at the hands of his enemies, the Philistines. He faced death at the hands of his own son, Absalom. But in each scenario, the presence of the Lord gave him a sense of protection, gave him a sense of security and comfort, which enabled him to persevere. Now, we are literally surrounded by danger and threats every day. Radical Islam is spreading rapidly. In fact, I just read a report. Those two New York police officers were killed. The guy that killed them was a radical Muslim. It's happening all over the place. What makes us think it can't happen here in good old Motown? Our government is out of control. 
The Constitution is under attack. The police state is emerging. National or natural disasters, disasters throughout the world are prevalent. Crime is unprecedented in our country. Deadly diseases like Ebola are on the rise. There are more false teachers, and I think this is one of the most dangerous of all. There are more false teachers in the church today than ever before. Let's face it, the world around us is a very dangerous and frightening place. Is it not? My wife was commenting the other day as we were grocery shopping. She said, you know, I, I don't really want our sons to get married and have children. And I said, why? Because of the world we live in. Because of what they're going to be exposed to. Because of how they're going to be persecuted. Because of how they're going to be treated. Because of how they're going to be affected and hopefully not infected. And I said, it's a pretty good point. It's a pretty bad world. But if they do, we're going to raise those grandchildren as covenant grandchildren to, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. In many ways, we are in the shadow of the valley of death. Are we not? And then I'm reminded of Romans 8.31, which says, if God is for us, who can stand against us? And I'm reminded of Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. And I'm reminded of our great text that we're studying, Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus protects us. And we need to know that Jesus is primarily interested in protecting our faith and protecting our souls. This is not to say that Jesus doesn't protect our physical bodies at times and, and our belongings in these things. I believe he does that as well. I do. But Jesus' main area of protection is our eternity. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. His protection goes beyond. It transcends the temporal things of life like our bodies and possessions. When the soul of a man is protected by Jesus, the man is eternally protected, and that's what matters most. I love the warning that Scripture gives. Don't fear men who can destroy your body. Fear the one who can destroy your soul in hell. And that is never the fear of the believer. Our soul is eternally secured and protected by Jesus. And don't get me wrong, I think he protects us in other ways. I think there have been times where, where something could have happened to me and I could have been killed or injured or hurt or my family could have been harmed. And Christ, the Lord, protected us. His protection is, is full faceted, but his main area is our faith. The good work that he began in us, the good work of faith he'll bring to fruition. You need to remember this in 2015. You're protected. You're protected. You're protected. You know what, Rachel? That's why our children can have kids. That's how, and that's why. Seven, Jesus provides for us. Jesus, he doesn't just protect us and do these other things. He provides for us. Verse five, 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What a terrific verse. Our good shepherd takes care of us with provision. He keeps a roof over our heads, food on our tables, and he blesses us with things that we need. Not only does he meet our basic needs, but there are times where his provision goes above and beyond to where our cups overflow. And the intention of the overflowing cup is to be a blessing to others, not to expand your territory and to work your kingdom. It's for the benefit of the church and for the benefit of those who have yet to believe. In the coming year, some of us might experience a pay cut or job loss. Nearly all of us will experience an increase in our living costs. Inflation is through the roof. Groceries have skyrocketed, especially meat and dairy products. It's amazing. You go buy two slabs of meat, and you're in the whole 40 bucks. Right? Unless it's tongue or something like that, and I don't go there. That stuff's always cheap. The only thing, right? Yeah, tripe, that's meat. Looks like you're eating a dang honeycomb. And it don't taste like honey, believe me. They accidentally gave me that at a taco truck one time. I thought I was eating a spring. And then somebody said, oh, that's tripe. And I was like, Bruh. The only thing that's come down in price recently is gasoline. Gas is low now, but believe me, it's going to go back up. It'll go back up. Oil will rise again per barrel. Did you know that money stress is the leading killer of marriages in the U.S.? Over 66% of divorcees claim that money problems led to their divorce. If we find ourselves in the midst of a financial struggle, maybe our car breaks down and we don't have the money to fix it, or maybe we're short on the rent, the mortgage, or maybe we get hit with some unexpected medical expense, or we lose our job or suffer a pay cut, we need to remember that Jesus, in some way or another, will provide. He does it every time, doesn't he? Somehow he makes the ends meet, even when there's no ends. I've seen this over and over in my own life. Chewed my nails off like a typewriter. What do we do? Bam! Provision. He always, always comes through. He provides for us. When we left uh, Big Valley to, to plant this church, we were given six months of, of severance pay. And that was incredible. We, we, we were not expecting that. That was a massive, massive blessing, not only to, to our family, but to this church. That I didn't have to worry for the first six months of what am I going to do for money but we weren't sure how we were going to make ends meet when the severance ran out. I went back to mobile audio, which is don't ever, ever, ever. There was a kid the other day, and he's 18 years old, fresh out of high school, and I said, where are you going to college, bro? Oh, I'm not. Oh, really? What are you, you going to do? I want to I work in car stereo. I left. I was like, Phil has left the building, you know. I said, are you nuts? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't go into that because it doesn't pay. I mean, literally, before I left 
that industry, I did make fairly decent money. I made about $6,000 a month, which for around here isn't too bad. I'd work my tail off to get it. When I went back to it, after we left Big Valley, I was offered $2,300 a month, less than half of what I got before. You see, while I was gone, the economy went, and the disposable income that, that everyone enjoyed was gone. No longer were people able to buy things that were fun and cool. Or, and I, I don't know about you. When I was 21, I thought somebody driving up with boom, boom, boom in their car was really cool. I hate it now. <laughs> they pull up next to me. I'm like, I hate you. I'm like, I know how to disconnect that. I know how to steal that without you even knowing. Right? I can't stand boom, 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 boom. I'm just sitting there going. Today, I'd roll my window and I'd be like. Now I hate it. My wife has hated it since day one. Turn that crap off. You know? When I left, the economy went. When I came back, I was offered the same position for less than half the money. The crazy part is, and I still went back, because today, having a job is better than not having a job. Having some kind of job having something that pays, that keeps a man busy. It destroys a man to sit around and to not keep himself busy. And a job is a great way for a man to stay busy. Men are builders. God has created us to build and keep and, and protect in these things. And so having some kind of job is, is better than not having one, even if it's part-time work or periodic work. Now, the crazy part to all of this is that our financial needs have been met every month since my severance ran out. <laughs> we've never been short. We've always had money. We've always had shelter. We've always had food. We've always had clothes. We've always had cats in our alley. I just added that. That wasn't in the script. I was just thinking, just thinking of the last time we've tried to help some cats. I mean, we've, we've never not had there have actually been a few times in the last couple of years where we've had more than we need. Our cup ran over. Now, what's my point? Jesus provides. Jesus provides. He always provides. If you find yourself in a financial situation or in some other situation where you have a need, remember that Jesus provides for us. There's a good chance that many of us, if not all of us, will be concerned in 2015 about money, concerned about provision. Remember, Jesus provides. Go back and, and reread Psalm 23, verse 5. Go over and read Matthew 6, 25 to 33. That's what you just heard a little while ago. Why do you think I had it read? That the Lord Jesus cares for even the birds of the air. They don't reap or sow, and he cares for them. How much more will he care for his beloved, for his bride, and you pray to the Lord for provision. Don't try to sort everything out all the time yourself. Men, listen to me. Don't run yourself ragged. You pray first and seek the Lord, and he will lead you down that righteous path to provision. 
8, Jesus gives us grace. You've been waiting for this one, haven't you? Jesus gives us grace. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's by his grace, the unmerited favor of God, that we receive goodness and mercy from God all the days of our lives. God has dispensed and delivered his grace to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God has given us his saving grace as well as his sanctifying grace. Grace isn't something that we need one time at the moment of our conversion. We need grace every day. Why? Because we still sin. One of the things that makes the gospel really beautiful and spectacular is the ongoing work of God's grace in our lives. God continually pours his grace on his children. God has an abundance of grace for us. God has an ocean of grace for us. I don't know about you, but I need his grace every day. I myself struggle with anger and trust and patience. I sometimes doubt the power of God's word. You preach these sermons and you wonder if it even matters. People seem to remain unmoved and unchanged. You rejoice with those who are obeying and, and you have sorrow with those or for those who aren't. I often think about things I shouldn't think about and I say things I shouldn't say and it really bothers me. Does it bother you when you do these things, when you sin? Think about this. What's going to go down in 2015? In what ways will you struggle with sin? In what ways will you screw up? I asked myself that the other day. How will I sin in 2015? Will 2015 be a repeat of 2014? Lord, no! We need to remember... We need to remember that Jesus gives us grace. And because of this, goodness and mercy shall follow us, not just in 2015, but all the days of our lives. Aren't you thankful that sin doesn't disqualify us from receiving God's grace? It actually qualifies us. Don't misread me. Well, then I'll just sin it up. No. If anything, God pours more and more of his grace on those who humbly struggle with sin. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When, you, when your sin brings you to the brink of frustration and despair, remember that Jesus gives you grace. And when others sin against you, and that brings you to the brink of frustration and despair. Remember to show them grace. You're going to sin in 2015, and so will I. None of us should rejoice in that. But we can rejoice in the fact that Jesus gives us grace. He saves us by his grace, and he sanctifies us by his grace. We're all going to need, I know some of you, <laughs> we're all going to need a lot of grace in 2015. And Jesus gives it freely to those who are humble. Lastly, nine, 
Jesus gives us a glorious future. Jesus gives us a glorious future. Verse six, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The things we've talked about so far, really prior to the ninth point, they really pertain to the here and now. He gives us grace and all of these things and protection and all these things, provision, protection. He leads us. All of these things pertain to the here and now, life. They have to do with temporal life, or life in the flesh. And I'm so thankful that Christ takes care of us, that he leads us this way. But in verse six, David inserts his crescendo. He wrote this marvelous statement about heaven where he will spend his eternity in the presence of Jesus. It's as if David is saying here, the Lord, and through this whole psalm, the Lord does all of these marvelous things for us, but the greatest of them all is that he gives us an eternity with him. It's like everything that he has said builds up to verse 6. All of this care and provision and protection, it all has to do with this final point, and that is our future. Verse 6 is a call to heaven-mindedness. Verse 6 is the same as Colossians 3, 2a, which says, set your minds on things above. In 2015, when everything is happening around you, remember that you're not a citizen of this place. That you're going somewhere. If you only think of now, you ain't going to make it. You won't be any heavenly good. I have to remind myself of this all the time. God's desire for us in 2015 is that we would not allow our circumstances to cause us to only see and focus on the here and now. He's just told us through everything else we've talked about, we're covered. So don't worry about it. God has the here and now covered, which means that 2015 is just a stepping stone. In fact, every day, week, year, and decade is nothing more than a stepping stone towards eternity for the believer. At the beginning of each day, we should think to ourselves, I'm another day closer to spending forever with Jesus. How can I make this day count for the Lord? But if we're constantly worrying about our daily provision and problems and safety and provision, all this stuff, we're not thinking about the mission of the church and we're certainly not thinking about eternity. Our whole lives are just wrapped up in our life, not our eternal life. Here's my closing point. This is what I'm taking away from Psalm 23. This is the application for me, and maybe it applies to you. I hope it does. Jesus provides for us in every way, shape, and form, so do not become distracted by the day-to-day affairs of life. Serve Jesus faithfully 
keep our eyes, keep my eyes fixed on our glorious future where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Remember all of these things as you live in the next year, but remember this essential point. It really isn't about right now. It's about the future. I can live in the freedom of the knowledge of the future and serve Christ faithfully. Recap, Jesus is our shepherd. It wasn't a point, but it was. It wasn't technically a point, but it is a point. Jesus satisfies us. Jesus gives us rest. Jesus gives us peace. Jesus renews us. Jesus guides us down right paths. Jesus protects us. Jesus provides for us. Jesus gives us grace. And Jesus gives us a glorious future. My final question to you is, what will you give to Jesus? Or better yet, what do you need to give to Jesus this morning? Are there areas of your life that you haven't handed over to him? Maybe for someone or some in this room, you have yet to surrender to Christ. You're not being protected by him. You're facing his judgment. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe that Christ lived, died, was buried, and rose from the grave for you that you would dwell with him in the house of the Lord forever. You know, this is the perfect time of year to ask that question, isn't it? It's a perfect time of year to think about what will I offer the Lord? How will I give myself over to the Lord in 2015? And it's the perfect time of year to start fresh and to begin again. Know this. If you belong to Christ, he purchased you as a whole. Which means that every aspect of who you are belongs to him. Every area of your life belongs to him. You belong to him, the whole person. Jesus purchased you as a whole. Every area Every part, your finances, your relationships, your speech, your thoughts, all of it belongs to him. And if there are areas that you have yet to give to him, I encourage you to give your whole self to him. Make that your resolution for 2015. Believe these truths that you've heard and give yourself over to Christ fully. I hope that you've been blessed and encouraged by how Jesus leads us.